chapter 4. We're talking about being equipped. Ephesians chapter 4, verse, verse 11. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We just pray, God, tonight or today, Lord, that you'd open our hearts and open our minds, open our eyes and our ears and our understanding, God, that you would, by your spirit, illuminate this word, this truth to us, Lord, to set us free, Lord, to be living expressions of you, of your life. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. That is what the work of ministry is all about, church. And here in Ephesians 4.11, says, He himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. The work of ministry is Christ in you expressing or manifesting his life through you. Christ wants to equip you fully so that you can do what? So that you can fully express his life. Amen? Amen. And so this, this word equip, this acrostic E-Q-U-I-P, to be established, to be qualified, to be unified, to be increasing, to be praying. Today we're talking about the U, which is to be unified. And so, if you remember, I kind of talked about this last time, this guitar. Let me put this guitar here where you can see it. And we talk about God wanting to make us, or God wanting us to be instruments. In the same way, a guitar is an instrument through which a musician fully expresses himself. God wants you to be an instrument through which he can express himself. This guitar has no purpose in and of itself except that a musician take it and express himself through it. That guitar was not created to sit in a house and be a decoration piece, though you might do that. But that's not what it was created for. It was never created just to be a piece that somebody looks at. And neither were you created to be something that just sits and looks nice. You are created with a purpose. And so as a musician fully expresses himself through this guitar, through an instrument, so Christ has created you so that he can fully express himself through you. And so a guitar finds its purpose in the musician as we find our purpose in Christ. Apart from Christ, we do not find our purpose. We do not know our purpose. The reality is God created us for a specific purpose. And apart from him, that purpose is lost. You might look good. You might be sitting there looking really nice, but the reality is that is not why you were created any more than this guitar was created to sit in a room and look nice. It was created so that a musician could take it and express himself through it and in doing that, bring joy to others. God created you so that you could be an instrument that he could express his life through so that you could impart life and bring joy to others. So God desires to equip you to be an instrument that he can fully express his life through. 
Though we're more than instruments, I want you to understand this. We're not just instruments. We are members of his body made one in the Son. Let me say that again. We're not just instruments. We're not just a tool. We are members of his body made one in the Son. I want you to think about this. A hand, look at your hand. Your hand can be an instrument. You can use it as a tool to do a lot of things. Can you imagine what life would be like if you didn't have your hands? You would not be able to do nearly as much without your hands as you are able to do with your hands. So God gave you a very effective tool, a very effective instrument in your hands, correct? But your hands are much more than just an instrument. Your hands are a member of your body. They are a living part created to be one with the whole body. Your hand is unique. Your hand is not your foot. Y'all know that, right? Y'all understand that. Your hand is not your ear, nor is your ear your hand. It's not your knee. It's not your elbow. All of those different parts have different functions. They're all different, but, but what do they all have in common? They're all part of one body, right? My hand is part of one body. My, my right hand and my left hand, they're part of one body. I have two, pan, two hands, but they're parts of how many bodies? One body. I have two feet, but they're part of one body. And so God created you to be a part, to be one with the whole body. So that's how we are in Christ. And so when we talk about being unified, unity is central to all other parts. If your hand is not in unity with your body, we have a problem, don't we? If, if my feet and my legs are not in unity with my body right now, I've got a real problem. I would not be walking, I would be falling. And if I get up and try to walk and my feet are not in unity with my body, if my feet are not in unity with my head, I got a real problem. But God created us not just to be instruments, but to be members, to be living parts, to be joined in one body. And we're unified by what? By the head. Christ is the head. We are the body. And so unity is central. It's central to all other parts. For Christ to be expressed through his body, unity is central to all other parts. Without unity, there is no true expression of Christ. Remember, what is the work of ministry? It is Christ expressing his life through you. That's the work of ministry that we are all called to. I may be a pastor, but that is just a calling, a vocation. But I am no less or no more called to allow Christ's life to be expressed through me than you are. I don't have a greater calling to express the life of Christ than you do. I may have a different vocation. But my calling to the work of ministry is the same. Your calling to the work of ministry is the same. Your ability for Christ to live through you, to express his life through you, is no less than mine. Theoretically. You might have more. Ability because maybe you are more yielded to God than I am. <gasps> Is that possible? Pastor, you're supposed to be, 
you're supposed to be the one most yielded to God. Well, that's nice in theory, isn't it? But we're all just human, aren't we? See, we have this mistaken thought that because I carry the title pastor, I must be closer to God. I must be more anointed. No. God wants to anoint you just as much as he wants to anoint me. I don't have a different Holy Spirit than you have. We have the same Holy Spirit. If Christ is in you, then you have the Spirit living in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The Spirit of God in me is no different than the Spirit of God in you. The power of God in you is no different than the power of God in me. The difference is, are you yielded to it? Are you surrendered to it? Are you willing to allow His life to be expressed through you? Unity is central to this question. Because without unity, there is no expression of Christ. We're unified in one body by one spirit. Here in Ephesians chapter 4, let's look at the first verse here. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing, look at this, bearing with one another in love, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Do you see the unity there? The oneness, not separateness. But oneness, not a fragmentation, but a unity, a wholeness. The language is very clear here that Paul is painting a picture of the body of Christ that is bound up in love and the unity of the Spirit. And we are one under the lordship and the headship of one Lord and one Savior, Jesus Christ. One faith, one baptism, one hope, one calling, one body. In one spirit. Verse 3. It says this. There is one body and one spirit. The unity of the body emanates from the unity of the spirit. Remember back in Genesis. Genesis 1.26. God said let us. There is a plurality there. He didn't say let me. He said let us. The Jews who don't believe in a Trinitarian God, who don't believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, believe that God was talking to the angels. But it's very clear in Scripture that the angels didn't have any part in creation. As a matter of fact, the angels were themselves created beings. But yet it says in Colossians that by Him, through Him, and for Him, Jesus Christ, were all things created. And it was the Father and the Son and the Spirit who are together in perfect unity and perfect oneness and perfect harmony at creation saying, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And there was perfect unity in the purpose of God. It is from the unity of the Spirit that the unity of the body emanates. The work of the Spirit is to bring the body into fullness. The work of the Spirit is to bring the body into fullness. What fullness? What are you talking about, Pastor Jeff? The full expression of Christ. 
It is the work of the Spirit to allow the fullness of His love to be expressed through us. It is the work of the Spirit to allow the fullness of His joy to be expressed through us. It is the work of the Spirit to allow the fullness of His peace to be expressed through us. Go through Galatians 5.22 and look at the fruit of the Spirit. God wants the fullness of that fruit of the Spirit to be expressed through our lives because that is the very nature and the very character of God himself. And we are created just like this guitar has no purpose apart from the musician in reality. We have no purpose apart from God because God, for whatever reason, has chosen to express his love, his joy, his peace, and all of his fruit through us. He chose to do that. And so unity becomes essential because if the body is not unified, if the members of the body are off doing their own thing and they're not connected to the head, they're not unified with the purpose of the head, if they're not receiving the commands from the head and doing what the head is telling them to do, then the body is not in unity and the body is not functioning and there is no fullness of his expression being manifest to the world. Amen? So the fullness of the body will not happen apart from unity. One body and one spirit. And then it says this. It says there is one body and one spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Look what it says up in verse 2. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in what? In the bond of peace. In love in unity, in peace. Those three words are not mutually exclusive. They absolutely work perfectly together. In love, in unity, in peace. If there is no unity, I submit to you, there is no peace and there is no love. If there is no love, I submit to you, you're not going to find unity and you're not going to find peace. If there is no peace, I submit to you, you're going to be hard-pressed to find unity and love. Think about that. Those three work perfectly together. And for too long, these words have been our doctrine, but they have not been our practice. Now, Jesus said to speak the truth in love. That doesn't mean that we compromise or we water down the truth. We speak the truth in love. As a matter of fact, sometimes love demands that we speak honestly because the truth is the only thing that will set people free. How many of you know a lot of people don't want to really hear the truth? Do you know that's the truth? I'm, tell I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. There are a lot of people that come to church every week that really do not want to hear the truth. I mean, even Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, in the last days, they're going to heap up for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears because they have itching ears and they're going to find someone that will scratch their ears because they cannot endure sound doctrine. They can't handle the truth. But if we really love people, church, we better tell them the truth because the truth is the only thing that will set them free. Now, they may not want to hear it. They may not receive it well, but I'm telling you what the truth will set them free. Now, we don't speak the truth in condemnation and judgment. We speak the truth in love. God didn't come to condemn and to judge. He came to redeem and to save. And for too long, the church 
has been too condemning and too judgmental, too condescending, too arrogant in its position and unable to come down right where people are and love them for who they are, embrace them for who they are, accept them for who they are. Yes, tell them the truth that they need a Savior and if they don't believe in Jesus, they will die in their sin. But tell them the truth and understand that God has called us to love, to unity, to peace. That doesn't mean we fail to tell the truth. But, but let me get back to my point here. We put nice doctrinal... You can go to our website and you can go to what we believe and you'll see a really nice doctrinal statement there. Sounds really good. But if people come here on Sunday morning and our nice doctrinal statement doesn't line up with the reality of what they experience here... Who cares what our internet doctrinal statement says? Oh, let me give you this, uh, this statement of beliefs, brother, that we have. And they walk out the door with a nice doctrinal statement of beliefs. And they said, this is trash because I didn't experience any of that there. There wasn't any love. There wasn't any peace. There wasn't any unity. I didn't, I didn't feel love and accepted. Church, why does the world look at the church and scorn her? Listen, if I'm going to get scorned by the world, I want to get scorned because I stand for the truth. I don't want to get scorned because I'm a hypocrite. I don't want to get scorned because I'm judgmental and condemning of people. And I'm expecting that people have got to get their lives all together and they've got to look a certain way and act a certain way and smell a certain way. But it happens everywhere. I spent quite a bit of time with a pastor this week who went through a horrible time. And I'm thinking, Lord, have mercy. I went up and went, I went out of town and I'm, I'm, me and uh, this pastor and, a, and a, uh, another pastor that's a friend of his in a church uh, out of town. And we just spent the morning together and we were talking. And on our trip up there, this brother was just telling me about, about what he went through. He said, I, he said I want, sometime I want to tell you my story. And so we're driving. I said, okay, I want to hear your story now. And he just told me, you know, kind of, kind of what he went through, how he came to be where he is now. And I'm thinking, Lord, have mercy on us. That, that we as Christians get so caught up, not in the Scripture. It didn't have anything to do with Scripture. It's all about the traditions of men. That we'll just boot someone right out the door and not think anything about it because... They were ignorant of our traditions. Well, now you can't do it that way, brother, because that's not our tradition. But, 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 but what about what the Bible says? Who cares what the Bible says? This is our tradition, and we're not going to break tradition. See, that's what I'm talking about, church. That's what turns the world off. But I'm going to tell you what. Jesus, Jesus is someone the true and living Jesus. I mean, if the world wants to reject Jesus, let them reject Jesus. But let them reject Jesus for who he is, not who we've made him or who we've defined him to be. Let's show the world a true and living Jesus. And I'm going to tell you what, church, we're not going to do that unless we show him a body that is the expression of who Jesus is. 
And this is why unity in love and unity in peace is so important. That it cannot just be our doctrinal statement. It must become our practice. Do I always feel like being in unity? No. Ask my watch, she'll tell you. Ask my kids, they'll tell you. Look, I'm a real person. Ask anybody that comes and hangs out at my house. Do you, will you ever see me get upset? Yes, you will. Will you ever see me raise my voice? Somebody was saying today that, uh, talking about using your inside voice. I'm saying, man, my inside voice is my outside voice. I don't know. I mean, I'm just loud everywhere I go. I have to really consciously make an effort. Now, I want us to give a hand right here. Yeah. There's a walking miracle. A miracle just walked in the door. Praise God. Amen. We're going to pray for you today. Amen. It's not about being perfect. It's not about doing everything right. But, but what is our heart? Is my heart to be in love? Is my heart to be in unity? Can I sometimes lay down my own selfish desires and wants and maybe even my own needs for the sake of unity? Did Jesus do that? Absolutely, he did. Now, I'm not Jesus, and, and maybe Jesus always felt like loving. I think probably, oh, I have no doubt, I think Jesus, Jesus was the personification of love. He was the only perfect man to ever walk the earth. So I think Jesus loved all the time. Now, me, I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. I know I'm supposed to love, but sometimes, just to be totally and completely honest with you, sometimes I have a hard time loving Maybe not as hard as some people. I had a guy tell me one time I'd never make it in the ministry because I was too loving. This was a pastor told me this. He said, brother, you're never going to make it in the ministry because you are too... He said, you're the only person I know that, that, that has more love than God does. Now, I know that was a lie because that's just not true. <laughs> I don't think you can ever go wrong by loving. But do we always feel like loving? No, we don't. Does that release us from the responsibility of expressing love? Can you express love but not necessarily feel like expressing it? Yes, you can. I mean, we know the right things to do. Does that release us from doing I don't feel like doing the right thing. Well, you still do the right thing anyways. And if we do the right thing long enough, I had just have confidence that the Spirit of God will work on us if we'll submit ourselves to Him. How many of you know when you do the right thing, even when you don't feel like it, you are submitting yourself to the will of God? And when you submit yourself to God, that enables the Holy Spirit to come and do a work of renewal in you. And pretty soon, your feelings, your mind will catch up with what you're doing, even though you might not feel like doing it. Now, something's not right if we, if we just go through life loving, doing loving acts, but we don't really have love in us. We need to stop and say, okay, wait a minute now. Maybe I need to examine myself here. Because if Christ is in me, I'm going to tell you what, his love's going to come out of me. And eventually, his spirit will do a work of renewal in me. And, and I will desire to love. I will desire unity. I will desire peace. It's just not worth hanging on to things just because they don't deserve to be forgiven. They don't deserve peace. Well, maybe they don't. I don't deserve heaven, but God, by his grace, has offered it to me. 
and has allowed me to receive it by faith in Jesus Christ. So, we talk about the move of the Spirit, and, and the error is that we define a move of the Spirit by some natural feeling or some natural experience. It's kind of like saying, I'm not going to love because I don't feel like loving, or I'm not going to forgive because I don't feel like forgiving. It doesn't really have anything to do with our feelings. A move of the Spirit has nothing to do with how we feel or even what we may experience in a sensational or sensual way. It, it doesn't have anything to do with that. I believe the greatest and most true manifestation of the Spirit ultimately is going to be the production of unity and spiritual fruit through our life. Now that might not be real romantic, that might not be real exciting, but I'm telling you what, that's where the rubber meets the road. I, I was just thinking the other day of, of some of the latest and greatest moves of God that have taken place. And do you know that disunity has been the demise of every one of them. Lakeland, Florida, the great move of God, all the prophets said, this is the big one. This is the one that's going to open the door and from here on out it's going to be nonstop. I don't know how many prophetic words I read that said that. Do you know they were all wrong? You know what brought that down, that movement down? It was disunity. You had a guy up there doing all kinds of miracles, but the problem was... He was in disunity with his wife. He was having an affair with a co-worker while his wife was back in another country. And, and on the surface, everything looked great. Problem was, we got all excited about the miracles. We got all excited about the manifestations. God TV was there 24-7, filming everything. But what we couldn't see behind the scenes was there was no unity. And you know what? The lack of unity caused the whole thing to crumble and tumble. And what I'm saying, church, we get caught up with all the hype, with all the excitement. We get excited about what we can all see and feel on the outside. But the true test is what is on the inside. What is the pillar? What is the foundation? What is the thing that is holding this thing up? If it's just hype and hot air, that can only last for so long and pretty soon... It's going to come tumbling down. It will every time. But if love and unity and the fruit of the Spirit is the foundation, and it must be the foundation, church, because that is Christ himself. That's the very nature of Christ himself. It might not be hypeful. It might not be exciting. It might not be real flashy, but I'm telling you what, it will bring real and true transformation to lives. God desires, listen church, he desires to move outwardly and powerfully. I believe it with all my heart. But he will do so only through a people who have allowed him to bring a transformation by his spirit inwardly. Inwardly. Unity doesn't begin out here. Unity begins in here. Love doesn't begin out there. Love begins in here. Peace doesn't start out there. Peace starts right here, right here. And as the church is looking for a movement, and we are looking for one. I mean, you can go and read about the, the next move, the next wave, the next great thing that's coming. While everybody is looking for a movement, guess what God is looking for? He's looking for transformation. He's looking for transformation. 
I'm going to tell you, God could care less about movements. You, you might, that might be sacrilegious to some of you. Because I know, especially in our charismatic circles, we're all caught up with the movement thing. The next wave, the next move, the next cloud, the next outpouring. There's one wave, there's one move, there's one cloud, there's one outpouring. It's already been poured out, moved, brought forth. It was 2,000 years ago. His name is Jesus Christ. He dwells in us by his spirit. He's not going to pour his spirit out again. He's already poured the spirit out. You just need to receive it by faith. He's not going to give you any more power. There's no reserve power in heaven waiting to be poured out. It's already been poured out. The question is, are you, by faith, going to operate in it? If the scripture is true, then he has already given us all things. Now, I don't know how you want to define that, but I define that by exactly what the scripture says. He has already given us all things. That means there's not anything waiting for me. That doesn't mean there's more power waiting to come down as soon as I earn it or I'm worthy enough or I get anointed enough. Uh Uh-uh. It's here, church. And the greatest expression and the greatest manifestation of that is going to be in love, in unity, and in peace. Why? Why? Because Jesus said in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, so you love one another. For by this the world will know that you are my disciples. How? By the power you demonstrate? No. By the miracles you do? No. By the doctrine you, you publish? No. By the size of the church building you have? No. By how big your congregation is? By how small your congregation? No. They will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. You know how the world's going to know if we're real? By the love we have for one another. When the love sees the church fighting and feuding, when we can't even forgive ourselves, when we can't even be in unity and harmony and peace with one another, why would the world want to come and join that? The the answer is they don't want to. They don't want to. That's why I'm not preaching to lost people today. You know why? Because the vast majority of you are here because either you are saved, you think you're saved, but, but, but you're, you're all about God. Or you want to, you need something, or I don't know. But see, the people that really need to hear the gospel, they're not necessarily in this room today. That's why the scripture says God has given us pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What's the work of ministry? It's you out in the world allowing Christ's life to be expressed through you. That's the work of ministry. And I'm not talking about just love, unity, and peace right here in the church house. Matter of fact, we, we, we can even get that down. We can all love one another. That's the other extreme we go to. We all love one another because we're all in the same boat together. Because we all have the same belief. And it's, it's us Christians against them in the world. And we get this fortress mentality. But the reality is we've, we're called to be salt and light out in the earth. And so it's not just us being unified in the church house. We need to be unified and in love and in peace in the workhouse on Monday morning, in our homes, in our dwelling places. 
with our families, with our coworkers, with our friends, with our neighbors. Well, you know that neighbor, he cut my, he, he cut my tree down, and I didn't give him permission to. I'm not going to forgive him either. Well, maybe he shouldn't have cut your tree down. But your unforgiveness towards your neighbor, you think that's going to win him? What kind of witness is that? He shot my dog. I can't tell you how many times my neighbors have shot my dogs. I ain't lying to you. I'm not lying to you. Some of them I know who they are. But you know what? But if my dogs are going to go and roam in their property, they have every right to shoot my dogs. Do I want them to shoot my dogs? No. Would I shoot their dogs? No, I wouldn't. My dog came home about two months ago with a bullet hole in his front shoulder about that big. I didn't even take him to the vet. (laughs) I didn't. Because the vet closed on Wednesday at noon. So I called the vet at noon. He said, well, we're closing up. I said, well, I said, man, my dog's got a bullet hole in him. I said, I could put a golf ball through the thing. He said, well, does he seem to be okay? And I said, well, he seems to be all right. He's walking. I said, doesn't look like any bones are broken. I said, looks like the bullet. If he got, had to get shot, he just got shot in the perfect place. He said, well, well put, I said, I'll tell you what I got. So I got some cut heel. Oh, that's great stuff. I said, I'll just put some cut heel on it. Yeah, bring him in in the morning. I put cut heel all over it. You know, and the dog runs away because I hate that stuff. By the next morning, it was already half closed up. I said, I ain't going to waste my money at the vet. This thing's half healed already. I just prayed over him. Shanda, Shanda, be healed in the name of Jesus. God heals dogs too. He does. He created them. He loves them. And you know what? You can come to my house and my dog's laying right there. I guarantee you right now, he's laying on the porch right now. He's all healed up. He's just as good as new. I don't hate my neighbor because he shot my dog. I wish my dog would stay at home, but he won't. He won't stay home. So I said, well, you're going to live as old as God allows you to live. You know, you're like a cat. You've already got several of your lives given back to you here. But, But church, the point is, unity, love, and peace. The world needs to see it. The world needs to see it in us. Go to John 17. Now I got silly here and I'm running out of time. I'm not going to read this to you, but, but John 17, 20 through 26. But I do want to bring this point to you. This is the last prayer that Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. Now, the scripture says that John, as a matter of fact, says this, that if everything Jesus said and did was recorded in books, the world would not be able to contain them. So do you understand, based on that reality, that this is a very, very concise picture of who God is? And in this extremely concise picture and version that God has left us that we call the Bible, the very last thing that Jesus Christ prayed for, can you imagine all of the things Jesus Christ could have prayed Right before he went to the cross. I mean, I could think of all kinds of things. But here's what he prayed for. He prayed for unity. He prayed for unity. Now look, look at verse 20. 
He's, he's talking about us. I do not pray for these. He just got through praying for his disciples. And then he says to the Father, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Church, that's us today. That's us today. And the prayer of Jesus for us today is this. Verse 21, that they all may be one as you and I. That they may be one in us. Verse 22, that they may be one just as we are one. Verse 23, that they may be made perfect in one. Verse 23, that the world may know that you sent me. How's the world going to know? As we come into oneness and unity with God and with one another, the world's going to know. Verse 24, that they may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you gave me, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Verse 26. And that love that was in Christ is a love that produced a perfect unity between the Father and the Son. And Jesus said, the same love with which you love me, Father, I pray that love be in them, even as I am in them. Do you see what Jesus, the heart of Jesus is? Jesus could have prayed for all kinds of things, but what did he pray for? He prayed that his body would be one. Because church, if the body is not one, it has no power. Do you have more power? Just think naturally for a moment. Your physical body. Does your body have more power when it's all together functioning the way it was created to function? You start taking parts of your body and dislocating them. Every time that happens, you've just exponentially diminished your power and your ability to express life and to function. So in praying for the unity of the body, do you realize that Jesus was praying that his body would be powerful? That his body would fully express not just his power, not just his glory, but his love and his peace. Go back to Ephesians chapter four. He gave us these gifts, Paul said, for the work of the ministry, for the equipping of the saints, Till we all come to what? Till we all come to the unity of the faith. Until we all come to the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. And you can read verses. You can read verses 13 through 16, and you see the progression there that brings us to a body that is built up in love. But I want to go down to verse 23. I'm going to go through this very quickly. But I want you to see, Paul is talking here. And then he, he, he brings it down to a very practical level. Talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And he says, put off the old man concerning the former conduct. In verse 23, he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, that's Christ, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, therefore putting away lying... Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Why put away lying? Because lying destroys unity. And then he says this. Be angry and do not sin. Do you know you can be angry and not sin? There is a, there is a righteous anger, but you need to be real careful. because. And he says this. Be angry and do not sin. Give no place to the devil. Because when we allow anger to come in, even righteous anger, we need to be very careful because... 
Anger, unrighteous anger, gives a place for the enemy to come into our lives. And look what he says. Give no place to the devil. Let him who steals, steal no longer. But he says that, be angry, give no place to the devil. What does the devil want to do? Why would the devil come in? Because he wants to divide. Divide and conquer. He wants to tear apart. Be angry and do not sin, but don't give place to the devil. When we allow unrighteous anger to, to abide with us, does it foster unity or does it bring destruction? It brings destruction. It divides. And then he says, let him who steals, steal no longer. Why? Because stealing destroys unity. Let him who steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Stealing tears down, but giving builds up. Stealing destroys unity, but giving fosters and nurtures unity. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Why? Because corrupt words tear down. But what is good for necessary edification, but pleasant and good encouraging words builds up. It edifies that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. How do we grieve the Spirit of God? Somebody asked me one day, you think God has emotions? I said, well, Look, the Spirit of God can be grieved. Yes, I believe God has emotions. God created us with emotions, and we're created in His image and His likeness. And He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Through bitterness, through wrath, through anger, through clamor and evil speaking. Why? Because these things tear apart and bring fragmentation. They destroy unity. And that grieves the Spirit of God. But look what verse 32 says. But be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Why? Because when I am kind and tenderhearted and forgiving toward one another, when we are like that, we build unity. We foster unity. We build the body. God is all about bringing the body together so that we can function fully Why? So that we can fully express his life through us. Because we were created to be instruments. And we find our purpose in Christ. And we find our purpose in being members, parts of his body, that he can fully express his life through. And if there is not unity, there is no full expression. So at all costs, church, I'm telling you, we're living in a day and an hour when unity is paramount. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. It doesn't really matter how you feel, what you get out of it. The question is, what are you going to give through it? What are you going to allow God to give through your life to somebody else that will bring them into function, that will bring them into their proper place that will enable them to share and supply what the rest of the body needs. You play a part in that. My forearm makes sure that my hand is able to function. It it makes sure that my shoulder and my joint here can move my hand where it needs to go. Do you see that every part of the body plays an individual part to make the whole work together. If we understand this reality, then we will stop living such self-centered and selfish lives and we'll stop wondering what we're going to get out of it 
and begin to seek what we're going to give through what God has privileged us to be a part of when he called us a member, a part of the body of Christ. Amen? Only in unity can the body of Christ fully express the life of Christ. Amen? I want to know, is there anyone here today? And you'd be honest and you'd say, Pastor Jeff, I've never really committed my life to Jesus Christ. I've never surrendered myself and have come to a place where I am totally and completely willing to to submit myself to God and find my life in Jesus Christ. If that's you and you say, I want to know that I'm born again before I leave this place today. I want to know that I have eternal life in Jesus. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Is there anybody, anybody, the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life? If you're here today and you say, Pastor Jeff, I know that I know that I know 